Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I'm Russell, my wife Jenny sitting over there. And uh, people often ask, guys have asked us, where do we come from? We don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, we move around. Every week we're in a different church, a congregation of Josh Jen. And uh, we were in Durbanville for about 10, 12 years, and we handed over the leadership of that two years ago. And so I'm part of the 412 team as well, so I oversee most of South Africa's, all the different uh, six out of the nine provinces, I think it is. And then we're also part of the Josh Jen leadership, and we're in different, last week we were in Kailicha, the week before we were in City Bowl morning, and then we drove through to Amanus for the evening, and then we just meet with people and shepherd and pastor people along the way. So it's wonderful to be with you guys. We lost here a year ago, I believe, playing in, praying in Dimitri and Corin and the family. How's it been going? Want to give a quick sit rep at all? Uh, <laughs> sit rep means situation report uh, in military terms. So, yeah. So, yeah, great. It's lovely to be with you guys. How are you all doing? It's a rhetorical question. You have to answer. <laughs> I won't go around the room. How are you doing? Uh, wonderful words. And, you know, it's, seeing SDN grow is amazing. It's, it's very proud proudful moment to see what God's done in his life. Very submitted guy. He used to always come and we used to chat and have coffees together over the years. And so wonderful to see how God's, yeah, God get the glory in, in your life. You know, as you've been obedient and faithful and served him like you have. And so we are super excited for what the Lord's done in your lives, you know. Folks, it's hard leading a congregation. Uh, you know, it's even just been, I mean, Dimitri's done both. He's led and, and um, been on eldership. But you know, Dimitri, it's hard leading. Because even like watching, I was watching him trying to lead this meeting. And you guys just come to a meeting and, you know, but he, we take this thing seriously. This is God's people. This is God's church. And you're precious. You belong to him. And what takes place here can affect your lives. And it can change our lives into eternity. And, you know, the heart is, is the director of, of all our, of our will. And it decides how we respond and I mean, the, the fantastic word that came through for that man, I don't know who he is, um, but things like that can, can shape and change people's lives for into eternity. Um, things can take place. We don't worship a Sunday meeting. We worship the God who's here. Um, and so Monday to Sunday is church, not to Sunday. We don't, this is not coming to church. We are the church. It's the church assembling in a room, in a building, coming just to worship God together. There's something about our togetherness. Uh, could we call God finds unity precious. And uh, so I watched them trying to lead the meeting, trying to hear God and say, Lord, what now? Do we stop the word? Because there's so many directions you can go in a meeting, especially when prophetic words start coming. Because in worship, often people start hearing God in a clearer way. And they start getting scriptures. I start getting millions of scriptures flowing through my mind. And should I share this one? Well, this is applicable now. And he's got to direct and filter all that. So often when, I lead, when I've led meetings over the years, I often bring the the church into what I'm doing. What I'm the pr- Guys, this is what's happening now. I don't know where to go. I don't know what God's doing right now. Do we stop the worship? Do we just preach the word? Do we just let prophetic words go? Do we just go home and go in the streets and evangelize? So all these things, are, you've, you know, you've, you've got to find God's will for each time. And it, it sounds like we're just having a meeting. We're not. We've come here to connect with the living God, you know. And he wants to connect with his people. Um, and this morning, I want to share, hopefully, an encouraging word. Um, what did I call it? Endurance. And because, uh, you know, this is a race. The Bible speaks about uh, a road marked out for each one of us that we've got to find that and run. And everyone's called to run their race right to the end. Paul said, I've run my race. I've done my journey on this earth. I'm about to go and receive the prize that God has got for me. 
He was near the end of his years when he made that statement. Um, and so all of us are running a race, individually and corporately. You know, Western civilization is very much individualism and selfishness. And so biblical culture, we are continuously having to go against Western culture. Because it's very much, it's me, my house, my electricity, my water, you know, my picket fence, my, my Netflix. It's me, my house, my career. It's my family. Whereas the biblical culture is us. God always saw Israel as us. It's, it's his people. When he addressed issues, he didn't, it, yes, he, he, sees, he see, does see you as an individual, of course. And he cares about you. But he sees you as part of the body. And so, but, so we are continuously having to work against our culture, which is trying to take us away from biblical kingdom culture. And uh, so this morning, oh, yeah, I felt to speak on endurance because, you know, some of you are young, some of you are older, and um, we've got to get to the end. No matter how many years we've got on this earth, we've got to run our race flat out to the end, glorifying God with our lives. Because Isaiah says we hear the whole purpose of your existence is to glorify God with your life. Your career means zero to God. There was no such things as careers 100 years ago, you know, or pensions and all that type of thing. Uh, this is a lot of things we consider normal of quite new to society. Um, so we had to do a journey and to glorify God with our lives. That's all that matters is that God is glorified through your life. That's all. I mean, I had a career for 24 years. I've had my own business for seven years. I was in corporate to work for Total, the French Petroleum guys, as a factory manager. So I've I've studied, got earthly qualifications, and I've been in ministry since 2001, I think, with Josh Jen. Um, so I've had two worlds to live in, so I know both. But the main thing is that God gets glorif glorified. And I'm not doing any, or those guys who are full-time are not more special than those who are doing other work. Uh, I think it's all the same to God, really. Uh, it's how you conduct yourself and in, in what way. Can we read one? It's Lauren, is it? He's on that side, yeah. Who's your sidekick? Justin, okay, okay. Is he the guy? He's... <laughs> You're the backup. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, 1. Um, there we go. It's the old NIV, hopefully. Um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. Isn't that wonderful? We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. I love that scripture that came out. Someone read out that scripture. We, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of a reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Isn't it marvelous what 
the Lord's been doing in the last week or so with Jonathan Conrath and team. And he's just, he's an evangelist, in case you hadn't noticed. And um, amazing gift that God has given us. Uh, And last Sunday night in Stellenbosch, the evening congregations, I saw video clips uh, come through of people streaming out in their hundreds uh, just to come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I, I don't know, I had flashbacks, I've been saved 43 years now, of the days when I first got saved, it was the end of the, sort of the Jesus movement, the Jesus revival of the 1970s, and salvations were common. I mean, every like a meeting like this, there'd be lots of people getting saved. Baptism in the Holy Spirit was easy. You just prayed for God, and they started speaking in tongues, and it was just a phenomenal presence of God, like a wave. And then we did start experiencing the apostolic movements in the, in the 80s, uh, the restoration of apostolic, really. Uh, it wasn't a new thing, it's just a restoration of understanding, but wait a minute, there is still an apostolic uh, ministry and, and grace gift of, on the earth. And, it's, and so the wineskins was, was, was sort of reassembled and put back and to almost contain the wine, the spirit of the living God. Because it was quite wild before that. I mean, our church was, I, I got Jenny, Jenny helped plant this church, it's called the Invisible Church. That was his name. Because they were trying to break out a tradition mindset of church. And so they called the Invisible Church. It was, that was his name. And so you had to pray about where to find it every Sunday. It was quite interesting. Um, and, but it was a wild church. I mean, I was made a deacon at six months of being saved. The, the lead elder had been saved about three years. Like a, and it was, it was crazy times. I mean, it was, we made mistakes after mistakes. But so many people came into the kingdom. Um, but they weren't grounded well, so we lost a lot of people. And that's where the wineskins, the restoration of the wineskin was so healthy and helped us to get church a little bit better. I don't want to use the word organized, but um, just to, to, to serve God better in better structures and, and better understanding of leadership and how everything fitted together. Because we wanted to build healthy churches. We read there, they were, you said to the Thessalonian church, you've become a model church. And that was one of the words that Andrew Selly got when he planted Josh Jen in 99, was that we would become a model church. All churches should be a model. We're not exclusive or elites by any means. But hey, he said, I want to be a, I felt God called us to be a church like that. A church that people said, man, you guys, the message of Christ rings out from you. There's life in you. There's a, there's a reality of your walk with God that, that we want to emulate and imitate. And... So we, we see, it, but then sometimes the wineskin can actually kill the life of God because you become so organized. One of our greatest enemies, as Josh Jen, was that we, we started administrating really well. And, um, and, and administration, you know, Romans 12 speaks about it being a gift. So nothing wrong with administration. To do things well, God wants uh, things administrated well. But it can kill the life of God. If, if, for example, a meeting like this, if we made it so structured, we would lose the life of God. You know, how do you run this meeting? Well, we all come. What time do we get here? You know, you know we always had this thing where 10 minutes of fellowship time. And so we start 10 past nine. Officially, we nine o'clock. You see the visitors are all here on time normally. And the regular guys all pitch up. So they say, well, what's lowest con- common denominator? Well, lowest, lowest level I can go to. Well, 10 past nine they start. So do not realize you break it up. I'll start on nine. Just, just mess people around, you know. Um, no, but we, we get slack. So there's a, there's, the, there's a freedom, and you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So we can abuse that scripture. Well, all things are permissible. I can do anything. And we've got pastors today who, who swear because they, you know, they're, they're so under grace and so amazingly free. But the Bible does say don't use coarse language. So 
how they factor that in, I don't know. But there's an ab- you can abuse any truth. You can abuse it and start taking it too far and too out of, out of uh, God's order. But we want to, so this whole thing of trying to take the church forward in finding life and order at the same time. Even in prophecy, it says, you must prophesy, you know, prophecy is subject to the, to the prophet and he wants to do things in an orderly way. So we've got to take all that into account. But I want to speak, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about seeing people go all the way to the end and running the race flat out and growing in their walk with the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, like a marriage, you don't want to just have a marriage and then plateau and in the beginning it is all fun and then you just plateau and then hang in there to the end for the sake of the children and you know they say the two most common times people get divorced is when they have babies because suddenly life is interrupted and what does this us and now we've got babies and and then the other time when the kids leave home because people often stay together just for the sake of the children and they get the guys getting divorced at my age group because now they want their freedom and all that nonsense so um We've got to find, we've got to be those who find what God is saying and be faithful followers of, his, of Him and, and be true right the way to the end. So that one Thessalonian scripture talks about there in the beginning. It says, uh, your work produced by faith. And what is faith? The Greek word is pastus. Um, it means that a conviction of the, of the revelation of God. You're convicted of, convinced of the, con, is a conviction, is a, is a, a convincedness as well of the revelation of who God is. That you are absolutely sure that He is who He says He is, that His word is true, that He did, that, you know, just factually, Jesus did exist. You can prove it, but obviously there's a deception that unbelievers can't see, but you, we can actually, there's, there's, um, Outside of Scripture, there's, there's uh, historical data to, to prove that Jesus existed. We've got thousands of manuscripts uh, of, that are found, even today, the 19, as it was 1948, um, Dead Sea Scrolls that were found. There's so much Scripture that's been found confirming Jesus. There's more, something like over 10,000 documents about the Bible and God, and there's like nine little documents about Julius Caesar. Everyone believed Jesus, Caesar existed, but there's very little evidence for that. Um, but there's far more for Jesus. So there's just factually, but we don't rely on fact. That, that, that's not our main basis for believing who Jesus is. There's a conviction in our hearts when he, he reveals himself to us, that veil of deception is lifted, and, and we get that understanding. He even gives us faith to get saved. There's, saving, there's, a, there's a saving faith that we have. And so your faith is given by God. You can't manufacture it. You can't work it up. You can't beat it, yourself, beat it into you. You've it's a faith that's given by God, and it's a conviction of who He is. And so our, la- our work is, it comes from that place of, I don't just work, you can't work for salvation, but from salvation, from salvation, there's a work that God has got for us. The Bible says He set work for every single one of us. No one's exempt from the work of God, not one. It's not just for the elite few on sit in the front row on Sundays that they call to work. The rest of us just to come and hear more sermons and more words and worship God and you know, ever hearing but never doing. We can't just be those who just want our ears tickled by, hey, that was a good word. Well, the worship wasn't so good this morning, or yes, it was amazing, or, you know, it, it's, man, what can I bring? You know, did every one of us pray this morning, say, Lord, we came together as your family this morning. What can I bring? What can I bring? Because you are precious. We need every single one of us to be working. Every single one. We are going to be seriously limping along as a church 
If not everyone understands the faith that they're called to walk in and, and the work they're called to do. And then it says, um, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Everything should come from love. That we, we love God so much, it should be an overflow. Ministry, everything should be from an overflow of knowing God. And the love, and the love, love is not an emotion, it's an act of your will. There's a song by MRC back in the 1990s. And uh, so love is not just an emotion. Emotions are great. God gives us emotions. But we're not to be led by our emotions. If you are led by your emotions, you're going to fail. You're going to fall down on your face. You're going to be disappointed in God because emotions are here today, gone tomorrow. They're all over the place. All of us have to bring our emotions in and control and, and the truth of God. And so we're led by truth. We love because of truth. Love, God's love language is obedience. He wants us just to obey and trust Him and our faith in Him and believe that he, he is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. So love is, and uh, love is agape love, it's affection and it's benevolence, a, a generous giving and leading and, and guiding us. And where is love mentioned in these three, three words mentioned in another place? 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Do you want to put that up? Sorry, did I get it wrong? Oh, 13, 13. Sorry, you're right, you're right. Hang, hold it right there. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. They're always linked together. You don't want to separate them out as different categories, but they, you can, we can look at them. But the reality is they work together. Faith, hope, love. They're just all interconnected in our walk with the Lord. Um, and then I want to just maybe do, do highlight um, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And hope is elpas. Um, Joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Joyful and confident expectation of our salvation. Now, hope in a worldly sense will be, are you going to win the rugby match, Joshua? I hope we do, but I'm not sure. That's like a worldly hope. But a, a, a spiritual hope is, is a conviction. It's a convinced. It's a knowing. It's a done deal. I mean, what if you knew that you were going to win every single game? It was a done deal. Hey, you'd go to your head a bit, eh? And... Uh, but that's the hope that we have. We have to, it's a spiritual hope. It's a confident expectation of our God that we're going to see Him face to face one day. We're going to be in His presence and we're going to be with Him forever. That this life really does count for so little. It really does. Um, work is the Greek word is ergon. It's an act or a deed or doing. Labor, uh, labor is kopos. Intense labor, united with trouble and toil, how's that? Um, your endurance, the labor that links up to, to, to love, is, it does say it's going to be a bit of toil, going to be a bit of uh, intenseness about it. But you want to put up, um, I don't forget, I just threw the pictures together this morning and sent them, the, so that poster on that one. Who's heard of Le Mans racing? Come on, let's see how educated you are in the southern suburbs, yeah? Um, <laughs> Okay, Le Mans is one of the most famous motor races in the world. It's over 100 years old. It's held in France, the, the town of France, and it's a street circuit that once a year they have this 24-hour race. And um, there's two other races that are world famous, the big three, that's Indianapolis 500, and also about 100 years old, and the Monaco Grand Prix, which is also ancient. 
Um, but the Lamar race was 24 hours long. It's always held in June. And um, it's, a, it's the most intense race. And this, who's heard of Steve McQueen? Any, oh, even the young guys. Sounds like, eh? Steve McQueen is a very famous actor back in the day. He died many moons ago. But he's, he was a motor racing enthusiast, and he decided he's going to make a movie called Lamar. It wasn't a very good uh, box office movie, but it's amongst the purists, it's, it's amazing. Um, and they, they filmed it in 1970, at the 1970 Lamar race, 24-hour. And uh, he had a camera car. He wanted to actually race, but they wouldn't let him. The insurance, insurance wouldn't uh, insure his life, so he was very disappointed. But they, he did hire a lot of uh, a camera, some guys to drive his camera car, and they, they, they took a lot of footage. And then they, for, for a couple of months afterwards, they made the movie at the track. Now, the car... There's a, I don't know if you, who watched the movie Ford versus Ferrari recently? Yeah, it's quite a, hey, hey even the ladies. Yeah. Um, so Ford decided they wanted to win Lamar. They tried to buy Ferrari. Ferrari, he was an old, old guy. He was a, quite a character, um, old Mr. Enzo Ferrari. And uh, he refused to sell to Ford. So Ford, this movie recently came out, it was all about how Ford said, well, if if we can't buy a Ferrari and win Lamar like that, we'll form our own team. They just threw money at it, and, and they failed initially, and then they just dominated for five years. And in 1969, the, the race was between a, a Porsche. Porsche was sort of new on the Lamar racing, and there was a Ford just beat by, I think it was like 100 meters after 24 hours. He, they won by 100 meters. The two cars were staggering to the end, and the Ford and the Ferrari, and the, sorry, and the Porsche. And, the, and so Porsche came back in 1970, and they had nine of these cars. They were called the 917. Probably for motor racing cars, anyone heard of the Porsche 917? Hey, some real enthusiasts yeah. here. Um, it's probably by motor racing cars, it's probably considered the most uh, proper f racing car ever made. They took two Porsche engines, they joined them together, made a 12-cylinder engine, and they, made it, they had to make 25 of them to be able to race them, and they did it overnight. Even the secretaries were working on these cars to get them ready. And um, so they entered this race with nine cars, nine Porsche 917s, and they were the most, they were doing four, 1970, they were doing 400 kilometers an hour down the Mulsan Strait with like pathetic safety. Their feet were right by the front of the car, and it was a, first the guys didn't even want to drive the car, it was so dangerous. Um, but they managed to stabilize it. And there was 11 Ferraris in this race. So I, don't, the, there were, I think it was like 90 entries, and they narrowed it down to 56. And then of the 56, 20 were these really fast cars, Porsches, nine Porsches, and 11 Ferraris. And, they, and, the, and they, off they went, and what, which is the most grueling race they've ever had. Only seven cars finished. It was rained all through the night. I mean, doing 400 kilometers an hour down, down a straight at night uh, in the rain, and it's pretty, and a dodgy car. So, um, and the guy who won, it wasn't the main works car. It was a Salzburg car, which was Porsche's cousin or something, she, a woman who oversaw the team. She was managing it. They had four cars. And their car started 15th in this race. And it just plodded along. It just kept going. It was, just kept the right speed. The top cars, at one stage, Ferrari lost four cars in, in like five seconds. They all crashed into each other. Um, and so the, all the top guys just burnt themselves out. But this one car started 15th, in 15th position out of the 20 fast cars. They just kept going. They just kept going. And they were there at the end. They, were, they set a world record for what took like 40 years to break of distance that they covered. Um, and the point is, is the, the consistency and, and, the, and, the, and the, the endurance that they had to, it's called an endurance race. 
And it's a motor racing term. In order to finish first, first you have to finish. And so, likewise, when I walk with the Lord, first, if you want to finish this race, and you want to get the prize, because the Bible, Jesus encourages us to get the prize. He does. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He encourages it. He doesn't say, no, just sit on your hands, wait till the end, just have a nice job, make sure the grass is cut in your lawn, and you look after your, paint your house, and just be a nice Christian, don't do anything wrong, just, you don't swear, don't drink, don't, don't smoke, um, and you're going to be, God actually has a great expectation from us in that. He does, and he wants us to get in the race and be in the race, even if you're not running at the front, but just to be in the race and to do that endurance and to be faithful with what God, God, has, God has given you. We know the parable of the talents where he gives out different talents, and uh, two of the guys multiply because God expects multiplication, not just give back. Okay, I gave you one. He has one back. He expects multiplication, and he, he said, well done, good and faithful servants. And the one servant who just sat and just did the bare minimum, he got a serious thrashing from the Lord and verbally. And it looks like he, ca- he called him a servant, didn't call him a stranger. He called him a servant, one of his. And he said, cast him away. Take away what he's got and cast him away. So finish well, run your race with great endurance. Don't give up. There's a hope that God has placed within us that it's worth it. And if you've had knocks in this life, if you've got cuts and bruises, get over it. And I say that in the nicest way. I'm not a good smiler, but I'll try and smile when I say that. Get over it. Okay? Deal with it. Don't, don't even in your heart right now say, but you don't know what I've been through. I most probably don't. But God does. And God can take you through any pain and difficulty and still shine for him no matter what. Don't let the devil get and bring you down to a place. Now, feel sorry for yourself. Pity is a terrible thing. Self-pity, it's a terrible, terrible disease to have. Don't go there. Don't allow yourself to, to, to pull back and withdraw. You know, um, in Hebrews it talks about uh, that God will not be pleased with those who shrink back. He will not be pleased with those who shrink back. And there's many folk, I've watched, for 43 years I've walked with the Lord now, and I've watched people shrink back. I see people take knocks. I see people get hurt. I see people abandon God and give up on God. They lose their hope. Lift up your eyes to this morning. Lift up your eyes. Know the author and the perfecter of your faith. The Bible says he will carry you right to the end. But that doesn't mean just sit back and do nothing. It does mean present yourself. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Present yourself in Romans to be a living sacrifice. Can you put up Colossians 3, please, 23 and 24? Oh, wait, sorry, before you, do, before you do that, just jump back to those pictures. I'll just show you some quick pictures of the, just go run through the pictures. Okay, that's a Porsche 917. Um, that's what it looks like. It's, it's most famous in the golf colors. Next one, please. That's the Salzburg car that won. It was slower than all the re- other, but it, it won the race. It's one of the most famous cars. That, that, that's all the pictures I gave you. Thanks. So I just thought that might be helpful to visualize endurance and understand endurance. It helped me, okay? <laughs> but Colossians, please, back to Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Work at it with all your heart 
It's Jesus you are serving. You know, uses, Jesus even uses the picture. If you give someone a glass of water, you're giving it to me. We see just the person in front of us, but Jesus, you're actually giving it to me. If you, you're loving me by stepping out. So I want to challenge you this morning to, be, to step out into more of what God's calling you into. If you've, if you've shrunk back, if you're just mocking time, waiting for the end, and just doing, Lord, what's the bare minimum I can give you? Sunday, what'll make the elders happy? Estian won't phone me, and Dimitri won't phone me. If they, you know, hey, where were you on Sunday? And it, we shouldn't never phone like that. Never phone, chase you up and roll call. That's not our job. Our job is to point you to Jesus. We do phone you and, and ask you a meal. How, how's it? We didn't see you like for, for a couple of weeks at church. How's it? It's not because like, we want to tick a box, like why weren't you there? We want to know, are you okay? That should be our heart for why we phone you. So if you do get a phone call from us ever, it's because we generally care about you. We don't want you just, we don't want numbers here. Josh Jen, is, Josh Jen is at the place now where we actually are, can plant congregations literally every week. We've got every area is just popping now. Guys are just saying, we've got 20 people here. We're just starting at Potchester there's 20. Malmesbury, there's 20 people. We're battling to provide leadership and, and to have leaders. We, just got, we can just go berserk with numbers right now, absolutely berserk. We need people. We need guys to step up. And you don't have to be multi-gifted in every format and every layer. We just want faithful people who just say, I'm here. I've been around, I've known the law for 10, 20 years. I can, I can teach. Can I help? Can I, just, can I just love? And you know where you start? Just love the sheep, man. You know, we all want to teach and bring prophetic words and do miracles. And that was me when I was a young Christian. Smith Wigglesworth was my hero, the apostle of faith. You know, I want to see miracles and I want to see the power of God. But I've seen people get touched by the power of God and get up and go back to their sin. Jesus had that. He had thousands come for what they can get. But when the rub hit the road, he was left with just a few. And they all left him, it said, when he started speaking about the, the, his blood and, and, um, and all that. And, they, and the many left him. He just done miracles and fed them. And, and he looks at the 12. What about you? Do you want to leave as well? And they said, Lord, you've got the words of truth. We can't. How can we leave? And I see many folk leave over the years, get disappointed in God. This person died. That happened. You know, where was God? Even now, we, we want to make sure that no one's hurt during this time with Jonathan Conroth. Because we're praying for healing. We prayed this morning for, for someone to be healed. But what if he doesn't get healed? Do we, ah, where's God? You know, we all prayed and he, he still had his tumor. Man, tomorrow we fight for the next guy. We don't give up. We will never surrender. God doesn't give up on us. We will not give up on him and his people. We pray. Because if we don't pray, nothing's going to happen. If we do pray, something's going to happen. So let's pray. And, and and this is a violent, messed up world, and it's, it's contaminated, it's corrupted. He, he says he's going to wipe away every tear in heaven, and, and no, we're no more sickness and, and no more pain in, in eternity. But down here, there is pain. There is hardship. Jesus even warned us, in this life, you will experience hardship. But take heart, I've overcome this world. doesn't mean we're going to have kingdom perfect life here, because that's not what he's talking about. But in our hearts, though, that our hearts would be on fire for Jesus. And the overflow and the expression will be, Lord, here I am. I'm broken myself. I messed up myself. I'm totally reliant on you by your grace and your mercy. But Lord, I want to serve you. And I want to grow up. I want to become mature. I want to remain a baby. You get gray-haired babies. They just go around the mountain. You can say 40 years. and They're still going around the mountain. They're doing, they're doing year one 40 times, you know. Why is God not using me? Well, take a look. Let's, have you ever asked anybody why God's not using you? 
you know, sat down. Estian, Dimitri, tell me, is there something in my life that, well, actually not, you know, I won't, be, I won't force myself on somebody. But if you want us to help you in, to grow in God and to get breakthrough, ask. Ask and you will receive. Didn't that scripture come through? Ask and we'll think of getting stuff. I need a new car. Ask and you'll receive. I need a house. I need a job. Oh, no, but what about just asking, Lord, how do I please you? How do I please you, God, with my life? And we can come in here and think, well, I've, I'm not going to ask anybody. What do they know? How old is Estian? He's nothing. Jesus is only 33, by the way. How old are you? There we go. The perfect. And Jesus was in a culture of really acknowledging the elderly and respecting them. So he's a humble, I know this guy. I'm, I'm in my 60s now. I'll go to him for advice. I'll go to him to speak into my life. I will. I'll say, what do you know, you know, and all that type of nonsense. Just because God can show him stuff. He's a godly man. It's got nothing to do with age. It's, 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 your, it's your humility. It's your presenting. And, and you get mature 33-year-olds. You get immature 63-year-olds. So if, if we need the old folk, okay? We do, because they've done life. They've got the bruises. But if the bruises captivate them and, and nullify them, then they haven't served their purpose. Because God lets you go through everything, hey? He was there. And we've dealt with some, Jenny and I have dealt with some very, very serious situations over the years. When you're in pastoral work, you see the underbelly of life. And you hear the underbelly of the stories we have heard. You, just like you can't believe what the, st- the, st- the st- things that people go through. But, but, they, but it's amazing how guys, when they turn to God, they can get breakthrough, even in their brokenness and what they're going through. Hope. Joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. And that's, it says, I, I, by your endurance inspired by hope. It's been down the floor. I remember times being on the floor, metaphorically speaking, and uh, thinking this can't get any worse, and it did. And I said, Lord, I won't give up on you. I will not let go of, of you. I won't drop my standards. We were tested in things like finance um, when I had a business. We had a way out of a financial, major financial dilemma. Uh, my dad had gone blind through the stress of this dilemma. Um, he'd lost everything, and we were at the verge of losing everything. Um, and and just turn to God in that. And, and when, guess what? The world then offered me a, a, a way out, but it meant um, bypassing legal, legalities. It was very small legalities. I was just falsifying an invoice slightly. It was a government department who offered me a lifeline of finance. And I said, I can't take that. Sorry. And we went down. We lost our house because of it. We had to start from ground zero all over again at the age of 40. And by started getting... Amazing how God restored us. We went back into the corporate world and another whole story of how God's faithfulness. Uh, and we got, took us a lot of fighting back to restore that. But I would not compromise my, my walk with the Lord um, for money. There's no ways. My family suffered. They can suffer. You may say that's cruel and no. My eternity is much bigger than my kids. In fact, they always had food. They always had a place to stay. Um, I remember going to my business mentor at the time. I was distraught. I was probably the most stressed I've ever been in my life. I thought, this is what a nervous breakdown must feel like. I felt like I was going to lose it. I didn't, but I went to my business mentor, a godly man, and he just calmed me down. He said, what's the worst that can happen? I said, I could lose everything. He said, you come stay here. It's Christ. He said, you know, what's mine is yours. And he just talked me down. He said, in fact, we got to the place where the worst that can happen is we all die. 
well, that's, that's physically, but I, I'm alive spiritually. I'm going to be with Jesus forever. We cannot lose. We are, we are not going to win-win situation no matter what because we know the Lord Jesus. We've got life in him. There's nothing this world can offer us. And that hope just stirs up in us to be able to go through the life's hardships and battles and the things of this world. I wasn't going to mention this, but my mom died three days ago. I wasn't going to be here. What about me? What about my, Dimitri even gave me an out. He said, no, I think, well, Estian, one of you guys said, hey, if you don't want to preach, it's fine, we understand. I said, why? I led my mom to the Lord when I got saved. She spoke about her faith. She knows the Lord. She's now with him. Of course I'm grieving, of course I'm sore. But God, he's a God of hope. He's a God who's alive. He's a God who's just always there for us. He comforts us when we need comforting. I don't feel sorry for me. Please don't. Because my God, my mom's, I'm jealous of her. She's with him face to face right now. This is the hope that we have. She's experiencing Jesus right now. She, she was 90 and perfect health. I mean, we could only wish that we had her physical health. She had all her teeth, no, all her, what do we call these things, hips, knees. It wasn't gray. I'm gray. She's blonde hair still, Scottish jeans. God is good, man. God is good. So I want to, yeah, I'll just leave you with this. The, let your hope stir up. If you've lost hope in any way this morning, turn to him this morning. What's that old song? Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Where's our worship guy? Can you play that? You know the one? Yeah, look full in his wonderful And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Let's sing that together. It's a a declaration of, of who God is this morning. Let's stand. If there's anyone here this morning even who doesn't have a hope at all, who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, you're not convinced that if you were to die, that you would see him like my mom is experiencing Jesus right now. That I, I would urge you this morning to make right with God. You've got to be so, so sure that you know him. They're convinced in him. Don't just, but convinced that he is who he says he is and that you've handed your life, your heart over to him completely in total surrender. That is your Lord and your Savior. Your Lord and your Savior. Where's that? Jesus, look full in His one.
in the light of his glory and grace.